You may be seated. When you've been touched by Him, you've been changed. Amen. We're in a sermon series called Fill Up on Joy. Fill Up on Joy. Some of us are full of it, but sometimes it's not joy. And so hopefully through this sermon series and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of His Holy Word that you'll be touched, that you will be touched by Him, and that you will be able to say that you have joy because you've been touched by Him. So open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18 of Philippians chapter 2. It's towards the back of your New Testament. You have that today. As we talk about joy, I want you to put yourself uh, in the sandals of the Apostle Paul, this great missionary and evangelist of the New Testament. He went on a lot of missionary trips. They were called journeys. The first missionary journey, the second missionary journey, and so on. And on these missionary journeys, his, uh, his MO was the same. His modus operandi was he would go into a town, a village, a community. He would preach the everlasting, life-changing gospel message. He would reach people with that message. He would convert them to Christianity, or what became called Christianity. And then he would build a church. Normally it would start in a living room or a house of one of the church members. Does that sound familiar? That is the history of this church, Buell Land Baptist Church. Uh, meeting in a living room or meeting in the house. A lot of churches start that way. It was no different in the New Testament era. And then when it got big enough, they branched out of the house and they would look at uh, having a building. But the Apostle Paul, on all of these missionary journeys, he would consider these newer converts his children. They were like his kids because he had shared the gospel with them. He had led them to faith in Jesus Christ and he had started a church to disciple them and minister to them, and he considered them his kids. Well, how many of you know? Raising kids sometimes can steal your joy. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes you're having a great day, and then you go out to eat with a four-year-old. Hello, somebody. <laughs> um, sometimes... Uh, because of life, uh, raising children can be difficult, and raising children uh, can come with challenges. And uh, I had the blessing and the privilege uh, uh, last weekend to go down to Lafayette, and I'm just so proud of Hayden and Kelby uh, with their twins, Sutter and, uh, and Hudson. But I'm going to tell you, uh, having babies is tough, and having two of them at one time is really tough. Uh, Hayden and Kelby work together as a team, and the way they've got them on a schedule, and the way they've got them in this routine, uh, feeding, diaper changing, napping, sleeping, feeding, diaper changing, napping, <laughs> sleeping, feeding, diaper changing, napping, and in the middle of all that, uh, make sure that you read a story to them, a book to them, or show them an Elvis movie. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Train up a child the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. All kidding aside, Hayden played an Elvis concert, not on my behalf, but because he likes Elvis too. He played an Elvis concert uh, for the boys to show me their reaction. 
And they sit there, it truly engaged, and Elvis was in Madison Square Garden, and he's singing with J.D. Sumner and the Stamps backing him up. He's singing, How Great Thou Art. And those little twins, their face and their eyes and their reactions to the vocals and to the music, uh, it was just really heart-touching uh, to watch them respond to it, especially when he hits the, he hits the note. Uh, and you hear the drum roll. Oh, how great thou And when they get to that point, the, those little babies, their eyes are... The... <laughs> and you can tell, you can tell he's hey, this, watched this a few times with them because they anticipate. They anticipate what's coming next. And one of them kind of rocked back in anticipation of the dun, dun. So, raising kids can come with challenges, but I think every parent would agree with this. You want to raise kids that are good even when you're not around. And that's actually what the Apostle Paul talks about where we're at in Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse 12. So now that you know that, think of the Apostle Paul as the parent of these new converts in Philippi. There was an actual house church in Philippi that Paul started and he's talking about here how I want you to be on your best behavior even when daddy's not around. So now that you know that, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word if you're physically able? Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse 12. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now even more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly to the message of life. Then I, Paul said, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if, I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray. Our dear, most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for all your blessings and your protection and your purpose and your plans for our life. We thank you for a peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you for how we can learn from your word and use it to teach us, to guide us, to direct us, to change us. Oh God, that you would speak to our hearts today by the moving of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your Holy Word, that if there's an attitude that needs to change or uh, God, if there's something going on that we need to we need to, to stop doing or maybe something that we need to start doing that you would reveal that to us and show it to us. We love you and we thank you that, God, you've given us such a great purpose as a church and as a people. And oftentimes, like children, we can get off course, we can stray, we can disobey when the parents are away. 
But God, you bring us back and you love us with that unconditional agape love. Thank you for that. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. And now, God, that you would move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul considered not only these in Philippi, but all of his churches that he started, Galatia, Corinth, Ephesus, all of these little churches that he started on his missionary journeys, he considered them his children, his spiritual children. And he wanted to know that they're getting it. Don't you love that moment when as a parent or a grandparent, you notice something that you've taught or something that you've led or something that you've shown by example, there's a moment where your kid gets it. And maybe your kid's 30. <laughs> but but there's, a, there's a moment where your kid gets it and you're like, look at that. They get it. And, and Paul wanted to have that sense of pride in that he had led them in the right way and they were finally getting it on their own. You want to raise children who are good, like I said, even when you're not there. Uh, even when you're not around. I think the best compliment that a teacher or uh, someone can say about your children uh, when you're not around, they, they say, they come back and tell you, you know, your kids are so polite. Your kids are so good. And I'm like, uh, you know, my kids, what? <laughs> you must be talking about somebody else's kid. Because sometimes, how many of you know that your kids can really act better when you're not around? You ever notice that? Miss Faye's not her head, so there must be something going on here. But... Um, <laughs> But that's what a parent wants to hear. They want to know that even when I wasn't there to, to spank, when I wasn't there to redirect or give them the stank eye, that they listened, that they obeyed. Paul considered these his kids. Be good while I'm gone. That's essentially what, what he was saying because he couldn't stay in Philippi. He couldn't stay in Corinth. He couldn't stay in Ephesus. His purpose was to go. His purpose was to keep building and keep working. But be good while I'm gone. But I want you to pay specific attention to what he says here in the latter part of verse 12. He said, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So listen, what does this mean? Let's really camp out here for a moment and let's talk about this. First of all, how do I work out my own salvation? Through obedience. When you obey God, and when you get closer and closer to Him, you are essentially working out your salvation. You are drawing nearer to Him. You are getting closer to Him. And that's why He references with fear and with trembling. In other words, as you know more about God, you hunger to know even more. As you obey God more, you hunger to obey Him even more. There's like an insatiable desire to get closer to Him, to, to, to obey Him more, to give more, to sacrifice more. There's this, there's this draw. And it's an amazing thing because I think a lot of times in our life, if we don't have that, if we don't notice that insatiable desire or hunger or thirst to serving, to give, to learn more, to study more. If that's not there, that's actually a sign. Hey, I need to pay attention to this. Why don't I have that desire? Why don't I want to read my Bible? Why don't I want to pray more? Why don't I want to obey more? In other words, that's, that's a, like a, a red flag that you need to pay attention to because it could be indicative, could be indicative that there's a deeper problem. Work out your own salvation. 
So I can tell you a number of times in my 24 years of pastoral ministry, people have come up to me and said something along these lines. I thought I was saved when I was a kid. But I felt like there was something missing. I noticed that I didn't want to read the Bible like so and so. I, I noticed I didn't have that desire to learn more. I didn't have a desire to give. I didn't have a desire to witness. And so that person came to the recognition that they were not genuinely converted. There had been no conversion. There had been no salvation. And that person is now recognizing that and saying, I don't like that. I want to do something about that recognition that I'm not where I thought I was, that I'm not where I should be. That's a great thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a person when you recognize, hey, I grew up in church. I thought I was a Christian. Working out your own salvation means you come to grips with a lot of things. For instance, watch this. Many of you sitting here today, it's not a question of whether you're saved or not. It's not a question of whether you've ever been converted, but maybe here's the issue for you. Maybe this is like a little stumbling block in your life or a little hindrance. Okay? Take it for what it is. Your baptism, your baptism may be on the wrong side of your salvation. And let me tell you this. If you were baptized before you were a believer, then you were not baptized. You took a bath. You got wet, but it was not believer's baptism. Baptism is for someone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ and then they are immersed, submerged into the water. So for some people, working out their own salvation works like this. They recognize that they were not saved when they were baptized and they now want to get their baptism on the right side of their salvation. Literally, Paul is challenging these baby Christians to work out your own salvation. Some of you are not a baby Christian in chronological order. You've been a Christian for a number of years, but you may still be a baby Christian. How many of you have ever met an immature adult? <laughs> so in other words, chronologically, they should be in their 40s, but they're still playing video games. They're still living with mama. I mean, I know y'all don't like when I get honest and when I get transparent, but I'm just going to tell you, that's somebody that's not mature. Now, you, you can come up to me after the service and tell me why they haven't matured and how this bad thing happened to them and that bad thing happened to them. I've got about 50 other people that bad things have happened to in this house today that will back me up on this. Get over it. Get out of your mama's basement. I know basement's in Louisiana, but get out of your mama's house. Grow up. Mature. Work out your own salvation. Find out where I'm at on this. Hey, you know, years ago I had goals. Years ago I had plans. What happened to that? Work out your own salvation. Are you growing? Is there evidence of fruit in your life? Because Jesus, don't get mad at Pastor Chad. Jesus said, they will know you by your fruit. Mm. So if there's not evidence of fruit, <laughs> then we might need to go back to the root. If there's no fruit, go back to the root. Did you ever get saved? Have you ever been converted? Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then he mentions this very controversial subject here. He says in verse 14, get ready, because some of you feel like this is your spiritual gift. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. 
Some of, some of us feel like maybe arguing and grumbling is our spiritual gift. It's not one of the gifts. It's just not there. Every study I've ever done, every time I've opened and studied from Ephesians and Galatians, I don't see that as one of the fruits. He says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. So a lot of times, listen, a lot of times we do stuff, we serve, we go, we, we work, but do we do it with the right heart? Do we do it with the right attitude? Because if we're doing it, but all along we're mumbling under our breath, I suffer, suck attached. Wish somebody else don't move. So even if what I'm doing is good, even if what I'm doing is in the serving of the Lord, if I'm not doing it with the right heart, I'm not doing it with the right attitude, and I'm cussing or speaking in tongues under my breath, or I'm griping about those of you that didn't do it, and why am I having to do Really? There's no blessing there. There's no reward. Because why? Because my heart is full of something and it ain't joy. And I can't expect the blessings and the rewards that come with giving if I give grudgingly. You know what the Bible says? The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever thought about that? It doesn't say the Lord loves a giver. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. So in other words, even if I give to the point that it's overflowing, if I do it grudgingly, or I do it to make a lot of noise, or I do it to be noticed, it's not going to be blessed, not going to be rewarded. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. You don't want those things that you're doing in service to the Lord to be polluted because of your heart, to be polluted because of your attitude. And then he goes on to say, he says, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted, that word's literally in the Greek means twisted, twisted generation. So there's no doubt about it, we live in a twisted and perverted generation. We live in a dark time. We live in a generation that even commercials. Who would have ever thought that? That even commercials have a political agenda. And it's not a campaign commercial. It's a product or it's something that they're selling and it will have an agenda. And it will have a focus. There's no doubt. I don't have to convince you that we live in a weird, weird time. He says... You are faultless, though, because even though you're in a crooked and perverted generation, you're going to shine like stars. I thought about that this week as I was studying. Shine like stars. When do stars shine? Well, they shine all the time, but when do you see them? In the dark. The stars get noticed. So in a dark background, you can shine like a star... You can shine and display God's glory even living in a dark time. Even during the darkness. Even during the darkest night, you can be that shine that's that you can be that star that shines and you can be the, the person that stands up and stands out. You don't have to listen, just because we live in a dark, perverted, twisted generation doesn't mean you have to join the club. You don't have to have that ugly members only jacket. He 
even when you live in a dark, perverted culture, you don't have to pledge allegiance. You don't have to walk with the sheeple. You don't have to be a part of that. You can stand up and stand out and be different and display God's light and display God's glory in the darkness. I love when it's a cloudless night and you can go out in the country and yet it's dark, but look up and see the beautiful stars. I don't know about you, but when I look up at that, I feel, I feel so tiny because I think about all the majesty of the universe and all of creation at night. I know it's hot, but you need to get outside sometimes and enjoy God's creation because where I hear God the loudest is through his creation. Really and truly, where I, where I see him displayed the best is on the beach at sunset. So if anybody's looking to sponsor somebody, <laughs> I'll suffer for Jesus. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll go there by myself. God speaks to us through creation, but I think sometimes because we're so busy and we're so secluded and we're so insulated and we're so now climated to be inside that we miss out on what God is doing I often will look at the skies in the daytime and at nighttime to see because I, I think God speaks through his creation. I know he does. The word declares that he does. But sometimes what I mean by that is he speaks directly to me. I can be really frustrated about a parole case or about something, you know, going on. And that God will, will, I'm telling you this has happened more than once, God will bring a bird into my path to remind me, remember the sparrow. Or he'll show me a flower, consider the lilies. And I'll sit there and think, man, I'm so spun up and spun out about something. And God's using his creation, something like a bird, something like a sunrise, a sunset, to tell me, Chad, I got this. The one who causes the sun to rise and the sun to set. I, I got your little problem. Don't worry about it. Paul says, hold on tightly, firmly, remain steadfast, press on. Look at what he says there. He says, uh, Hold firmly to the message of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if, I love that Paul has an even if faith, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. <clears throat> Paul is saying here what sometimes we don't want to hear. The Christian walk is an uphill climb. Meaning it takes effort to get to the top of the mountain. It took you a little effort, didn't it? It took you a little energy, didn't it? It caused you a little exhaustion, didn't it? You had to have some stamina. You had to take some deep breaths. The altitude starts changing. But let me just tell you, once you get to the top and you see the glorious display, oh, the climb was worth it. But let me tell you this. I'd rather be on an uphill climb than a downhill slide to hell. I'd rather have an uphill climb than to be going down in flames. Paul said, even if, even if I'm poured out. You know what he was saying there? Even if I'm sacrificed. 
even if I'm persecuted. In fact, the message translation, I read out of the Holman uh, Christian uh, translation, but the message translation says it this way, even if I'm executed here and now, I'll rejoice in being an element and the offering of your faith that you make on Christ's altar, a part of your rejoicing. But turnabout's fair play. You must join me in my rejoicing. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for me. That's how the message translated that same verse. Dying for Christ seems so foreign in a culture that can't even live for Christ. In modern-day Turkey, It was a place called Smyrna. And there was a bishop there in Smyrna in 155 A.D. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a long time ago. This bishop was named Polycarp. And in 155 A.D., Polycarp was threatened to renounce Jesus or to be executed. And this is what he said in Smyrna in 155 A.D. when given a choice between renouncing Jesus or death. He said, For 86 years I have been His servant, and He's done me no wrong. And how can I now blaspheme my King who saved me? He offered up a prayer in the name of God, and then He was bound at a stake. They lit the wood, and to humiliate this elderly man, They stripped him of all of his clothes. So there he was, tied up to a stake. They lit the wood, and they watched as Polycarp stood there in the middle of that fire. The spectators were cheering because finally this bishop would shut up about Jesus. But then the crowd noticed as they were cheering that something odd was happening to old Polycarp, that old wrinkled up man standing there in the middle of that flame. He was not burning. In fact, he was not screaming. Fox's Book of Martyrs says that he was singing praises. And that as the crowd noticed that he wasn't burning, they became angry. Because he literally was standing there, bound, couldn't go anywhere, but was not on fire and was singing praise songs. And so then they ordered the executioner step in there with a dagger and stab him repeatedly. And so, man took a dagger, and he went in there, stood at a distance from the flame, but began stabbing Polycarp. In fact, the man, it is said, that was stabbing Polycarp with a dagger caught on fire himself, while Polycarp did not burn. But Polycarp was stabbed repeatedly so many times that his blood, Polycarp's blood quenched the flames. He bled so much that the fire died out, but at the same time, he lost too much blood to survive, and Polycarp became a martyr for the faith. He refused to deny Jesus Christ in the face of persecution, and we have people who will not even talk about him in their workplace or tell a neighbor or a family member that they claim to love about Jesus. Well, let me tell you this about Polycarp. He lived up to his Greek name. You see, anytime we see that word poly, it means much or many. And karpos 
is the word for fruit. Polycarp literally means very fruitful. And in death, in 155 AD, he showed that he lived that Christian life and that he was faithful and that he was fruitful. Let me ask you this. Do you have an even if faith? Even if I'm persecuted? Even if I'm threatened? Even if I have to get out of my comfort zone? Even if I'm shy? Even if I'm introverted? Even if they laugh at me or mock me? Even if I go out there and serve Him and the bottom falls out and the carpet's pulled out from under my feet? Even if I lose my job? Even if... See, that's the type of faith that we need to have in this very dark dark world that we live in. We need to shine like stars to the point that even if the bottom falls out, I'll still be faithful. Let's pray.